Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam Payne, Anthony Slater, uh-huh. and Fred Katz. Uh-huh. To be able to bring uh-huh. people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. (laughs) (laughs) Awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. Trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I have tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, here as always with Anthony Slater out west. Also out west, we got Jovan Buha, Lakers beat writer. Everybody out west today. This is a west, west coast West coast represent, but we, we're going to go a little bit east. We're going to go east in a minute here, Slater. We'll get to that. On today's show, Jovan, it has been way too long since you came on, so it's so good to see your face here over Zoom. Um, you know, we, we talked about your team in the summer, all the different kind of, you know, Russell Westbrook situations and where they're going, and then once they started diving on the court and not playing well, I felt like I actually stopped paying attention to the Lakers, but for a short time. But now they win 8 out of 10. We're going to get into that. What does it all mean? Um, you've had some really good stuff recently on some of the trade possibilities. But Slater, you, you wanted to start in one particular part of the association this week. I want to talk Hawks. I mean, that's the story of the league at this current moment because, you know, I'm 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 enjoying an NFL Sunday, you know, viewing around the leagues. We don't need to get into what happened. <laughs> you were not enjoying that NFL Sunday. Um, and I just I read an interesting report out of Atlanta. I believe it was by uh, Sam Amick and, and Shams of The Athletic Uh do you just give us the expository, the details? Big words, big words. The uh, source out today. Now, so Trey Young um, and Nate McMillan. Well, I guess let me hit the rewind button. Friday night against Denver, it didn't. It kind of went under the radar, but folks did notice that while the Hawks were taking on the Nuggets and beating the Nuggets, by the way, a good Nuggets team, um, Trey Young was not only not in the game because of a shoulder problem, but not at the game. And so, you know, this is admittedly something I love doing at our place. Whenever there are little NBA mysteries to be solved, it's, you know, this is what reporting is when it comes to these gigs. And so we uh, we, we dug around a bit, and, and Shams was all over it. Uh, we connected, and, and essentially the way it went down was this. Friday morning at shoot-around, Trey Young is, is getting rehab on his shoulder and, and trying to go through that treatment at the same time that Nate McMillan was conducting shoot around and Nate is one of those more old school coaches who has a personal policy that if you're going to play that night, I need you to take part in shoot around. So he says to Trey, why don't you just integrate your treatment with shoot around? I could use you out here so we can walk through this stuff. Trey preferred to focus on the treatment and just take that route. And, uh, and later in the day was essentially told that, that um that because of that decision that he had two options he could either play that night which by that point later in the day Trey had expressed a desire to play even with the shoulder problem he was dealing with uh either come to the game and come off the bench or stay at home 
and he chose the latter. Um, you know, that's why he wasn't there. Um, today he addresses the media and I mean, the, the bigger themes here, guys, that, that we have talked about before on the show is that, you know, Trey's just a fantastic ball player, uh, but it, the jury is out when it comes to, I think, you know, his kind of development, maturity and, and leadership aspect of being the face of that franchise. And I don't think this was a great couple of days for him because um, there is nuance here. I don't think he's completely at fault for everything that went down. You could make an argument that maybe Nate should have been a little more malleable. Sam. With, Yes, sir. I mean, what to me, it's one of those, I mean, we've all been there. We've all seen these type of situations where like one little instance becomes, you know, the you I guess you say the straw that broke the camel's back, whatever, like the flashpoint where there's all, clearly a lot more underneath and a lot more background. And I think you guys hit it. I mean, this is rising tensions, right? This isn't just some random instance of like, oh, why did this happen? Like this is building, it seems. Yeah, well, and, and again, even be, pre-Nate McMillan, or at least pre-Nate being the head coach, you know, it, it, it's very fair to highlight the Lloyd Pierce subplot here. You know, Lloyd got fired um, not only because the results weren't what they needed to be, but there was a massive Trey Young factor in Lloyd Pierce's firing. And so the organization has already, you know, when it comes to, you know, if you want to call it picking sides, if you will, between the player and the coach when there was some tension – the organization has already gone that direction where they parted ways with Lloyd. They elevated Nate back in 2021. They got all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. It was, you know, everything was moving in the right direction. Now, what has changed and what matters and what is worth monitoring going forward is that they traded for DeJounte Murray in the summer, largely because they realized that their ceiling was lower than they had hoped that it would be. They wanted a game changer to play with Trey. Um, and they gave up a massive amount for DeJounte. So it is not necessarily still the old Hawks of the Trey Young show. They don't want it to be the Trey Young show. They want it to be a good Eastern Conference contending team with Trey as the leader, but DeJounte right there, um, all of which to me makes Friday so interesting because not only you know, did Trey choose not to come, which you know, there is, he, you know, Nate McMillan called it a communication problem. You know, Trey, I mean, bottom line, you chose not to come off the bench rather, you know, and, and instead stay at home. But they went out and won that game. DeJounte had 34 points, I think eight assists, took 22 shots. Um, you know, it's Trey, I think, is going to have to read the room and figure out that while he has a ton of juice and influence and power within that organization, um, this, this idea that keeps growing that he – just doesn't make good use of that power or good enough use and that he is a, a bit of a, a sense of an entitlement that I think bothers people at times. I think he's got to keep working on that. But then again, I go back to the media. If anybody didn't see it, you know, when he addressed the situation on Monday morning, not exactly the most accountable, um, you know, uh, presentation, if you will, he was kind of edgy, told one of the local reporters, you know, that, uh, they were an outsider and they needed to stay on the outside um, said that it was miscommunication, you know, was was pretty combative about it. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a long answer just, to your it question. It was a combative exchange overall. I don't know if you yeah. saw it. Yeah, and my thing is, you know, this is we are in the don't kill the messenger business, if that makes sense, right? And, Jovan, you and I have been through this with tough stories that we've written. When it's like, don't kill the messenger. I don't know what to tell you guys. Your environment in Atlanta is like Trey. If he was on this pod right now, it'd be like, you should not be talking to me or Shams or talking about how did this leak. Like, it doesn't matter how it leaked. Like, believe me, this didn't come from one, two, three, four. Like, this is this is your reality. 
and you need to figure out why you are being perceived the way that you are. Yeah, I would say the last thing I would, I'd say on it is, you know, just from the McMillan side, okay, yeah, he comes off the bench, which I guess was one of the options. You're making that pretty public. Like, what what are we all doing if we are covering the Hawks and we go to a game and like, hey, why, you know, if I went tonight and Steph Curry's coming off the bench, like, a post-game question I might ask. Like, you know, <laughs> what's going on here? Because um, you're so inquisitive. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, uh and they're they're winning. That's what's kind of weird about this, right? I mean, they're thirteen and ten. They're fourth in the East. I mean, it's not like they've run away from the pack. But they're, they're supposed fourth. to contend, though, man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're yeah. I, they're probably not playing fully up to their standards, but like, yeah. who in the league is right now? No, that's fair. And even that, though, I think, and and Jovan, I'm curious how you see this. Like that reflects even more the the uh, not so great nature of the situation. If if you got this kind of chatter coming out of a thirteen and ten squad, you know what if they were uh, had that record flipped the other way? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I, I've seen it both firsthand with, with the Lakers and the Clippers how influential a, a star driving the culture can be. And I know with our Clippers story that that we reported a couple of years back, like that was kind of a big thing of of just you know uh, Kawhi and PG kind of taking accountability with, with the locker room and with practices and. Uh, you know, going through certain things that the rest of the team had to go through. And, uh, you know, there's definitely preferential treatment uh, across the league. But I do think, you know, especially as I know that they made the conference finals, but like Trey isn't someone who's won a championship yet. He hasn't won an MVP yet. And not to really kind of take that stance. But I don't don't think he's earned that, you know, unequivocal, I can just do whatever I want. And and to your, like like you said, he, he has a lot of juice with the Hawks, as he should, but I don't think he's at the point in his career yet where he can just kind of be like, you know, button heads with his coach and, and refusing to go through a, a walkthrough. So um, I think this is going to be a learning experience for him, even even if publicly he, he wants to take the, the edgy stance and be putting out Drake tweets. That, that was the one thing I liked about this was he quoted Drake <laughs> uh, on his Twitter. But um Aside from that, like I think this is private. Privately, should be a learning experience, and if it's not, then um, I think that that's going to be kind of an interesting point moving forward of, of just what comes with the situation and what comes with Trey Young as your culture setter in the locker room. I, I like what you said there about his resume and the pedigree, if you will, and and it's probably maybe a natural segue as we shift into our Lakers discussion with you. But um, earlier today, I. I did a podcast with with uh, Logan Murdoch and Raja Bell on the Ringer, which I enjoyed. Then I did a uh, an NBA radio hit with Antonio Daniels and Rick Hamla, and I only bring those up because Raja and Antonio, two former players, their perspective was almost completely in lockstep, where they talked about the idea, and especially Raja, that like you know, if you talk about Kobe or players of that caliber that would routinely skip shoot arounds later in their career would do some of the things that Trey probably thinks he should be able to do. That's a five-time champion. That's a, one of the greatest of all time. You know, there is this unwritten rule that, yeah, at some point you might earn that type of stuff. You know, I've heard, uh, I think Richard Jefferson on ESPN talked about KG. You know, well, that's KG. That's a different level. And Trey's been fantastic in his early career. But you see this with some young guys where they've accomplished a lot individually. And this is not on the same level, but like, you know, I think about DeMarcus Cousins early on in Sacramento, um, you know, where it's like, okay, you, you've done a few things here, but this doesn't give you that Kobe red carpet treatment, you know, that you might think you deserve. 
And with Trey, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and now, you know, things have changed too. He's got to read the room and realize that organizationally, they got a lot invested in DeJounte. And this is not a Trey versus DeJounte thing by any means. It's more so, I think, the organizations realizing, like, we got to change here. It can't just be what Trey wants all the time, you know, and, and operating in that fashion. The collective has got to be the priority. So we will see where they take it. Uh, the collective with your Lakers, Jovan, <laughs> is going quite well. I texted uh, texted you last night asking if you can come on the pod. And uh, and and I Slater, I asked him like, "Cause is this team that you cover like actually good? Like, what are we doing? Why do you here? sound so surprised, Sam? Are you hearing this tone, Yovan? Are you uh, hearing how like he's so like facetious. he's almost giggling? Like they are eight and ten. This is great. <laughs> eight out of ten too. They, they oh, won eight, eight out, out of ten. Sorry, yeah, they're not eight. What are what is ten and twelve? Ten and twelve. Ten and twelve. Yeah. Started two and ten, and then have gone eight and two over the last ten. Uh yeah, I mean, the the Milwaukee game was what swayed me, where, you know, looking at their, their recent success, it was like, okay, well, you beat San Antonio three times, you beat Detroit without Cade Cunningham and Isaiah Stewart, you beat Brooklyn without Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving, like, so, you know, solid wins, whatever, but you know, those are the games you're supposed to have, and I, I guess for the Lakers, that was progress, because going back to last season, they dropped all those games, losing, you know, blowing two 20-point leads to the Oklahoma City Thunder, losing an early game to Houston. Like they, they just they didn't win those games that you're supposed to win. But I don't think they deserved a pat on the back necessarily for that, uh, especially with how poor they started the season. But I think to to me, for them to go toe to toe with the Bucks and, and you know Chris Middleton's back, and we, we see to, you know, and obviously Slater's seen it firsthand. Like what, when a star comes back, that could go multiple ways. And I thought Chris actually played really well. Uh, you know, they, they kind of limited his minutes, but he, he still, I think he had 17 points. Like he, he came in and, and really added to what they were doing. He didn't subtract. He, he wasn't a big distraction. Uh, so I, I felt this was basically the Bucks at, at as close to full strength as they've been all season, Friday night, primetime game, national TV, and the Lakers absorbed their haymakers in the second half. They, that, that third quarter, they hit like six, seven threes. They, they wanted a big run. And I thought for most of the fourth quarter, the Lakers were going to lose the game. And then there was a point where it looked like, okay, they're going to pull this one out. Then Russ misses a couple free throws. Uh, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, Milwaukee's going to tie it. It's going to go to overtime. The Bucks are going to win. Uh, but the Lakers w- withstood that. And AD was phenomenal. He outplayed Giannis. And, and that's kind of been a talking point uh, the last couple of years where since the bubble, Giannis has taken it to the Lakers. And he's taken it to AD specifically. He's outplayed him head to head. And AD outplayed him in in that game. So there's a little bit there's a little bit of Rich Paul context within there too, right? Didn't what? How did that come about? Like some quote from him about in the past with AD and Giannis. Yeah, I I I, I don't remember specifically the quote, but I, I know what you're talking about. Like th- there's been they've kind of been on each other's corners. Like AD in a, in a would be Giannis if given if, the if, opportunity. In, exactly, and. They've kind of been on each other's corners where, you know, I think going over the last few years, you look at them as the two best power forwards in the league, you know, depending you know, power forward, loose definition. But um, in, in terms of starting power forwards, like those two guys were kind of neck and neck. But Giannis obviously passed him these last couple of years, you know, unequivocally. And I think AD, this tear that he's been on uh, the last 10 games, 35 points a game, 16 rebounds, three blocks, shooting 65% from the floor. Like he's been in my opinion, the, the best player in the league the, these last three weeks. He just won player of the week. And MVP. Uh, I think, MVP. oh, sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> I wrote always, the, the MVP ladder, it, it, Sam loves it. 
Love I do love it. No, I mean, he's, and that's, that's part it. of this, though. Well, yeah. but but that is what's crazy. We'll see. It's got to continue. But uh, hey, yeah. you can poke fun at me all you want, Slater. I just read the esteemed uh, peerless John Hollinger talking about Anthony Davis as an MVP candidate on the Athletic today, and with the qualifier, of course, they have to keep it going. They got to get that record well above five hundred. Mm-hmm. But in terms of these ten games, he has been the best player in the league. And Jovan, can you unpack for us a little bit? some of your perspective on why. And and I saw before I throw it to you, like Darvin Ham talking post game last night, I watched his whole presser. I heard AD got their perspective. Um, there's been a lot of focus with good reason on the fact that AD is, he's a five right now and spacing wise. And John wrote about this, that, you know, playing AD at the five and not putting just a, a, a body that's not all that impactful next to him you know, cough, cough, DeAndre Jordan from last year, like, and, and mucking things up. AD with space, even with the limited shooting that the Lakers have. And what I thought was one of the best uh, tidbits that John shared, you know, his percentage and, and volume at the rim, just going through the roof at an age when typically players take it out the other way. And he's, you know, he's just kind of getting back to what he does best and, and obviously playing incredible ball. Yeah, well, the Lakers have been using him more as a finisher rather than a creator, and and he still had some some opportunity to create. You know, he's taking the ball full court, and um, they, they'll occasionally run a inverted pick and roll where where LeBron's screening for him. But for the most part, it's just been a lot of pick and roll with, with him as, as a finisher. Their their pick and roll, they've been running kind of lower pick and roll around the free throw line on the left side with, with Russ, with, with LeBron, uh, with, with Dennis Schroeder, and it's really been unstoppable. And if you go through the clips, it's like the spacing they're working with, it's like the opposite of the Warriors where it's like a crowded paint, but still they're threading these needles to AD. He's catching everything and he's just going up, dunking on guys, getting fouls, finishing through contact. Uh, So I think uh, really it's kind of been a a shift in in approach of of how they're creating buckets for AD. But I really think it's been a mentality thing. Uh, And just like the, the way he's carried himself these last 10 games. And I honestly think... LeBron getting injured and missing the five games that he missed will, will end up being a blessing in disguise for this team uh, because that's what really got AD going. He really started this when LeBron went out and he had to carry the offense and it kind of went back to a New Orleans-esque situation where it's like, you're the clear guy, you're the number one option, we're going to run everything through you, and he delivered. And uh, I think did you real quick? Did you catch that moment in the presser last night when he got real chippy about yeah. his New Orleans? <laughs> so well, what's what's later? Or go ahead. Go sorry. Ahead. No, I just if you didn't see it, Slater. Um, he I don't know who the reporter was, but he gets asked about how well he's playing right now, and essentially the question was, you know, there there are some people saying this is the best basketball of, of your career, you know, maybe second to what you did in the bubble, and AD's face kind of crunches up a bit and he looks he go, he's been, he was in a great mood and his whole face changes and he just mutters to himself you you didn't see me play in New Orleans <laughs> and then of course friend and colleague Dan Wakey I texted him about this from the LA Times Dan did crack me up he he couldn't help himself he chimes in and and says to AD well maybe this is third best and AD goes maybe fourth <laughs> but it was some of that swag right like some of that like it's like the old KD thing Slater like you know y'all know who I yeah. am Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he he's been carrying himself that way and I, I think you you've seen just a, a different level of resolve like the the one knock on ad aside from the health has been his passivity and, and just 
even last season, he was way too comfortable being the third option on too many nights where it was like, you know, LeBron's the clear first option. Russ is going to be Russ, and he's going to take as many shots as he wants. And it was kind of like AD would fall into line as the third guy when, like, if anything, AD should be the first guy, as we're kind of seeing. Like, the Lakers have looked so much better running things through him. So, and to his point, though, I will say, statistically, this is the best. Uh, Like, right now, he's averaging career highs in points, rebounds, field goal percentage, true shooting percentage. A lot of his advanced metrics are at the highest it's been. So like for as dominant as he was and as special as he was in New Orleans, and we were talking about him as the the next in line with Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett and Dirk Nowitzki. Like he was on that path and you know, kind of has been off of it the last couple of years, but like he's averaging you know better numbers than he did in New Orleans, which is just crazy to think about. So um, it's not just the 10-game sample size of that. It's been the full season. He's leading the league in rebounds. He's third in blocks. He's top 10 in scoring. Like Anthony Davis has been amazing. And this really is not only the best he's played in LA, I, I think it's the best he's played in his career, uh, but definitely the best he's played since the bubble. And, and that's huge for the Lakers because they have not seen this version of AD in, in over two years now. All right, I, so I have a quick... No, nope. yeah. go ahead, Slater. Sorry. Oh, I'm just I'm looking at the ten game sample size right now. Really throughout all the Lakers, and I did want to get to some wider than A D points, but he's only taken eleven threes in the last ten games. He made five of them, but that probably I think speaks in a good way to like he's abandoning the jumper, right? When you mention the passivity, that's usually when he's just kind of floating around the perimeter. He's not that efficient of a jump shooter. Um, you know, obviously he had the bubble run and that's was the under discussed or maybe it has been discussed well enough part of the bubble was like his jumper was really hot it hasn't been where are you seeing his jumper right now because it doesn't seem he's re like he's rediscovered it but doesn't maybe he doesn't have to you know if he plays like this it's looked better the last couple games he's had now back-to-back games where he he's had uh two plus threes so i do think you know, we'll, we'll see if that continues. Uh, you know, like last season, he had two games total with with, with two threes. Uh, this season, he's already done it three times. So um, uh, some progress there. You know, again, not the shooter he was in the bubble. Uh, but I thought in the Milwaukee game, actually, he, he shot the ball really well. Uh, he was six of 10 on jumpers in that game and, and really adjusted to, okay, you got Brooke Lopez protecting the paint. You got Giannis in there. Like, I, I can't do everything as just a roller, as just a post-up, an ISO guy. Like, I got to pull these guys out. And he did a really good job of, you know, stopping short a little bit um, in the short roll, in a couple pick-and-roll situations, kind of shooting those, like, eight, ten-foot jumpers uh, with Giannis and, and Brooke dropping back. So uh, I think the jumper is starting to look better. Uh, it's not, again, not quite where it was at the bubble, but uh, he doesn't need a jumper with, with the way – um, he, he's been finishing. And, and really the other thing is his free throw shooting. He's shooting 88% uh, over this, the, this 10 game sample on 10 free throws a game. And, and that's just like, you know, I 80, think, 81 of 92. I'm looking for it right it's now. It's crazy. And, and, um, you know, so I think that that's been a big thing too, because 80, he, he has, he's, he's talked about it a little bit, but, but he, he's kind of had inconsistent answers on it, but like, he's kind of shied away from contact at times because the last couple of years, he's really regressed as a free throw shooter, been in the high sixties, low seventies. And I, I think him getting back to being an eight, you know, shooting 83% on the season, like that's really important for him because if he can get to the free throw line and he's confident in that, you see him welcoming that contact. And when he's welcoming that contact, you see plays like last night where he, he goes up for a shot, misses it, grabs it, dunks it on two guys and, and is screaming in their faces. And like, you rarely been seeing that for, from AD these last couple of years. So 
Uh, I think he, he's as healthy as ever. Like that's the first thing Darwin said when asked about what's different is like, he's just healthy. And um, I think you see all sitting in front but... of the UCLA health banners, no less. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Like he, he's only missed a couple games this year. So um, I think to, to Sam's point, like he's got to keep this going and, and we'll see, but well, so if he does this, like, yeah. yeah. Wasn't this always the answer? I mean, I know obviously like for proper reasons, considering salary and like, you know, trade possibilities, like Russell Westbrook has been such a hot topic and we should probably get to Russ cause he's been, decent off the bench right but to me so much of the lakers answers that have been eluding them the last couple years was davis not being a top 10 player and like he probably should have got more heat for it because of what he's showing right now i mean the health stuff though was big and then it it reared its head again early this season and then of course you know the topic of fragility becomes part of the anthony davis discussion and he was getting hammered, you know, on the court and off the court, left and right. But um, you're looking at it here, guys, and I do want to segue to trade stuff and then big picture the AD ramifications. But Jovan, on the MVP front, if they keep winning games, and there's a, a big if, he's leading the league right now in PER. Um, you know, he's ahead of Jokic, um, and so he's doing some special things. And, and I'm going to quickly share a few numbers. This is, I guess, we'll call it a preview from our – net rating game that's going to come later because this is the smaller sample size Lakers net rating game. And, and guys, you can tell me if, if you're trusting it or not. In this 10-game stretch, your Los Angeles Lakers are fourth in net rating at 8.4 uh, behind only New Orleans, Boston, and Phoenix. But the, the more shocking part, given how the season began, because their defense was strong, is they got the third best offensive rating in that span, 118.6, just behind Boston and Phoenix. Uh, you know, I mean, 10 games is not nothing. Jovan, you mentioned, okay, three of them came against the Spurs, one against Detroit. So there's some nuance there, but uh, are, are we trusting these numbers? Uh, I'll Can say I? no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, like, I, I mean, they're not going to be a top five offense in defense, which they've been over this 10 game stretch. Um, I think net rating wise, like, Definitely can. I mean, they, they were bottom five in net rating for a lot of the season. You know, they, they started two and 10. They're so still 16th. Yeah. Yeah. Overall. So I, I think that they're like, could, could they be in the eight to 12 range uh, as things kind of stabilize and, and we have a larger sample? Like, I think so. Um, I, I'm looking at this team and, and I don't want to spoil a future topic, but like, if they keep this up, like, I, I think this could be a five to seven seed with, with the way that the West is just kind of wide open, but like, that's kind of more there them hitting their ceiling, AD staying healthy, AD playing at this level. Like we did not anticipate AD playing at this level. Like I, right. I, I wrote before the season, this was a legacy defining season for him with the way the last couple of years went. And right now it looks like it is a legacy defining season in a positive way. But I think for, for I, I'm a little skeptical just because of the, the schedule and, and we'll see what the, like the rest of this month is brutal. They still got four more games on this road trip. They got another five game road trip at the end of the month. Like, this is a really pivotal time for them. And then you got the December 15th date looming. And like, there's a lot that that's going to potentially change in the next month, month and a half for this group. So I don't, I don't want to say I fully believe everything, but I do think they're headed in the right direction. And if Anthony Davis continues to play like this as potentially the best player in the league or top three, top five, like you have to rewrite their ceiling. I just don't see how, how you know, you could look at it otherwise. I, I kind of wanted to stretch the conversation beyond Anthony Davis. Um, 
you know, I'm looking right now at this 10-game stretch. Lonnie Walker's hitting 47% of his threes. LeBron's right up there, too. You know, I know he's only played six of the games. Uh, I want to ask about Westbrook, you know, in this kind of reimagined role. Uh, what is going well? Like, why beyond Anthony Davis has this team turned it around? Yeah, well, I, I think that, that that's obviously, you know, first and foremost. Um, I think Dennis Schroeder and, and Thomas Bryant have given them some juice that they weren't getting with the rest of the rotation. Uh, Dennis has probably been, you know, aside from Russ, that their best guard. Uh, I mean, I guess, the, the, like, best point guard. Um, you know, I definitely outplayed Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Nunn. Um, I guess if, if we're qualifying Lonnie Walker and Austin Reeves, I look at them more as wings on this team, but if you want to put them as guards, th- those have been the best two. But uh, I, I think those two guys, you know, I, I was asked about, uh, you know, we, we had to write about the, the biggest surprises of the season. And for, for me, it's it's Lonnie and Austin, where Austin has taken a jump uh, as a second-year guy, has had, uh, you know, multiple 15-plus point games and, and really kind of developing into a reliable 3-and-D guy, uh, as well as some playmaking chops. They're, uh, Lonnie, they're plus ninety eight with him on the floor during this ten game stretch. And, and this is the is second the second straight season Austin's led them in plus minus so far. So uh, when Austin Reeves is on the the court, good things happen. Uh, Lonnie Walker, as you said, like I was, I'll take the L on Lonnie. I've, I've been taking it the last couple of weeks. Like I said, Lonnie was the worst taxpayer. How does that work? Sorry, I couldn't resist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, wow. I said he was the Love worst it. taxpayer mid-level signing, and I have egg on my face because he he's been a steal at the taxpayer mid-level with with the production he's provided. Um, we gotta get Russ some has been good off the bench. Select booze from the producer. Let's get booze in here for you. Are you booing yourself right now? <laughs> no, it's I, him. I am booing myself. You got um, Lonnie wrong. <laughs> oh, I thought Sam was booing his own joke. My oh, my joke was fantastic. What are you talking about? <laughs> he's not booing it then. <laughs> he's not booing it. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash NBA show 23 and get started. Like what, where are you at in this Westbrook thing? And that can get us, Sam, you know, into like, I guess, wider scope trade conversation. Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. So I, I don't, I, I've changed my stance in that. I don't think they have to trade is him he untouchable. No, no. <laughs> I still think like the problem is you, you've got a guy taking up a third of your, of your salary that you still don't know if you can trust in big games. He was really good down the stretch of that Milwaukee game, but just before that what was not good down the stretch of the Pacers game, was not good down uh, good down the stretch of the, the, the Blazers game. Obviously had the Blazers game earlier in the season when he took that crazy jumper in transition in a two-for-one opportunity that, that ended up basically costing them the game. So like I still think the issue with Russ is he, he's a great first 
three quarters, three and a half quarters player. But when it comes to the last five, six minutes, I, I think his problems are magnified and he doesn't really fit in a grinded out crunch time type of game, which the Lakers have, have often found themselves in, which is kind of the nature of their season. So I think with Russ, he, he's played well enough where he's in the six man of the year conversation. He's accepted the bench role. He's had some games where he hasn't closed. He's had some games where he's played less minutes. So I don't think you have to trade him the way you did maybe the first couple weeks of the season and, and really before that. But I still think the the Lakers, if we're looking at the best possible outcomes for this group, the, the, I think I still think the best thing is trading Russ, getting back some front court help, getting back a better 3 and D wing, getting back a big man who compliments Anthony Davis or, or can just back him up. That's to me, like this team still has a glut of guards. There's way too many times where they've got like three dudes six, three and under on the court. And like, you can get away with that in the regular season sometimes, but in a seven game playoff series, you can't do that against the Warriors. You can't do that against the Suns. Like those teams will exploit that. So I think for, for the Lakers, um, another thing that I reported is, you know, I think a, a shorter term kind of small scale potential move is Kendrick. Nunn Yovan, and, and before you, Beverly. before you go down that road, cause I was just yeah. going to go there. I was going to share lightheartedly with you that, since the early part of my day began with me literally answering questions on your behalf on a different podcast, <laughs> uh, I'm now going to present that same question to you because I was asked about your report from just four days ago, December 1st, when you it was, it was really good stuff. And you had in great detail exactly what the organization and the front office are considering trade-wise you know, as they get closer to that December 15th date you know, where so many more options open up. Um, path number one, trade Russell Westbrook plus a pick or two for a star or a multiplayer hall. Path number two, trade some combination of Pat Beverly, Kendrick Nunn, and picks for role players who better address needs and upgrade the rotation. Path three would be two separate trades, one with Westbrook plus a first, another using a Beverly Nunn pick package. Um, do you feel like even in these four days, like what I was asked is, do you feel like even is is that still the approach or is the way they are playing taking any of those options off the table? Uh, I, if anything, I, I think it potentially takes the Russ deal off the table or, or maybe decreases the likelihood. But I think the likelihood of, of Pat and Kendrick have being traded has only increased, uh, I think, over these last few days because those are really the movable pieces. Like if you look at the Lakers cap sheet, they only have six guys making uh, above the uh, you know minimum salary, and oftentimes in trades, you can trade minimum salary guys, but it's not going to get you much back. Uh, so if you just look at it, process of elimination, LeBron cannot be traded. And it was funny to me earlier in the season when people were saying, blow it up, trade LeBron. Like LeBron cannot be traded because of the extension he signed. He cannot be traded this season. He can only be traded in the summer. So Le- LeBron's off the table. Anthony Davis, th- there was some buzz about him potentially getting traded. I had heard earlier in the season that that was a no-go. Obviously, with the way he's playing, he's not being traded. Then that leaves Russ, Lonnie, Kendrick, and Pat. Lonnie's playing out of his mind and is a steal on his current contract. So really it goes to those other three guys who are not currently playing up to their contracts. And with Kendrick and Pat, those guys are very tradable because you already have Russ and Dennis and Austin and Lonnie. Like they have a log jam in the backcourt. So those two guys who who are probably been arguably their two worst rotation players on a night-to-night basis, 
Like those guys are, are more expendable and could provide, I, I think, in the right situation, some help to teams looking for backcourt help. So I think for the Lakers, obviously, probably having to attach a pick, you know, maybe that's a protected first or a couple seconds or, or whatever. But that's the path they're looking at of, you know, can we maybe get you could get a Miles Turner for a Patrick Beverly, uh, Kendrick Nunn and a pick. Uh, like you could kind of go that route. It doesn't have to be Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. You could also just get Buddy Heald on his own. Like there's there's different things that they can do with those two combined that gets you into like 18 to 20 million. So I, I think if anything, they're more emboldened by the last few days of, hey, like if Anthony Davis is a top five player and we still have LeBron being LeBron and, and Russ is em- embraces Bentrol, like let's go upgrade the starting lineup. Let's go upgrade the bench and bring in some guys who can actually address some needs on the wing and in the interior, which is where their two biggest holes are right now. I like it. On the uh, the Russ front, do you feel, I mean, it's certainly, I haven't been in LA in a while, although by the way, I'm coming to join you next week. Um, nice. Do you feel like, our, you know, our, our appearances meeting reality in terms of his spirit um, and, and just the way that he appears to have, you know, I mean, he, he seems so reluctant to take on this six-man role you know, that night in Sacramento, I think Slater, you were there when, when Russ played that six man role for the first time and then pulls the hammy and, and it just was messy right out the gate, you know, and it felt like he was never going to be comfortable uh, in that role. And now here you are talking about him for six man of the year. Malik Monk is offended by the way, former Laker. Uh, He's a candidate. He's a candidate. candidate. I'm just kidding you. He's playing much better, but, but even like the spirit aspect of it, because culturally and and spirit wise, that Lakers locker room was, was so uncomfortable late last regular season, early this regular season and Russ's energy. um, No one would ever really speak on it, but it really felt like Russ's energy had a lot to do with that. And now I'm watching, you know, this little hula hoop dance he does after uh, finding AD the other night, and he seems to be having fun, and he's diving for loose balls, and he is finding some joy in the game again. Which he's it appeared... joining the uh, pregame ABC or ESPN. Oh, broadcast, that was right? fantastic! Yeah. I showed my wife that. That was great. Yeah, he's saying hello to his kids and talking about eating vegetables, and 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 this was not the the vibe that he was emanating, you know, six weeks ago. I would even say a couple of weeks ago, like I think there's really been a shift as the team has started to win more games. And uh, I think he's continued to play better. These last couple of games has combined 26 assists over his last couple of games. And in that Milwaukee game had 11 assists, zero turnovers, which is something you, you rarely see from him. Uh, so I think to, to, to be honest, I, I feel like Russ's play sometimes correlates to his mood more so than anything else. Like there are times where the Lakers have lost, but he's played well and he comes and talks to us and he's in a decent mood. There's times where he plays poorly and the Lakers win and he comes and he's in a bad mood. And like, I I've seen more of a correlation between his own personal performance and, and you know, rather than the team's performance. Uh, but, but that said, I think he's been better with, with I, I, we only see him really in those media segments. So like, I think he's been better with the media over the last week or so. Uh, and I think the one thing with him is I still think it's important for him to close games, even if he's not starting games. And you have seen uh, him not maybe be as engaged as his teammates in situations where he's not closing. Uh, so, you know, I think there's been some recent games where uh, if you look at kind of the bench and how they're getting animated and stuff like Russ isn't if he's in the bench at crunch time, like he's not really doing those things as much. Uh, but aside from that, like you got to give the guys flowers. Like he, he's played so well off the bench. He's embraced the role that 
I didn't think he was going to embrace. Uh, I know a lot of you know people with the Lakers didn't think he was going to embrace. People around the league didn't think he was going to embrace. And like he's done it. He, he's thrived. Uh, and I still uh, again have to kind of have that that caveat of I think there's a limitation to how well you know or just how good this team could be with him taking up as much salary as he takes up and uh, w- with him closing games and uh, against really good teams. But he's been really good and. I did not expect we'd be having this conversation right now. So I think you got to give him his props, but I still think the Lakers best move ultimately is trading him, but I don't think it's a must the way that it was a few weeks ago, which probably correlates to to the mood, right? Because it's like, Oh sure. Yeah. You know, for, for a month every day, there's something else out there like about basically your employer, you know, needing to get off of you to to get you out of town for any chance at anything and, and obviously having regular discussions about it. <laughs> yeah. And that just hasn't been as prevalent lately for, for it's been quiet. various it's been reasons. It's been a lot quieter, yeah. But it's a lot easier to work under those circumstances, I would assume. Do you think, Jovan, um, and this is for me the last thought that comes to mind, is big picture with AD, you know, and again, qualifiers, he's got to stay healthy, doesn't got to keep playing at this level, but you know he, he's got to keep doing his thing. Um, the Lakers have got to be relieved, right? Like, so he's got his deal goes through next season. He can opt out two summers from now. Um, but he was when he came to town supposed to, you know, he was perceived as the guy who was going to take the torch from LeBron at some point, and he was going to be the future of Lakers basketball. And then, as recently as again five six weeks ago, maybe a month ago. That was seriously in question. So as far as like positive signs go and, and big picture team building wise, um, we've gone from AD trade rumors to this guy might be the MVP of the league if he, if he keeps going in this direction. Yeah, I think it's it, it's been great for the Lakers from that perspective. Um, I know, again, like the, the past two years have been rough. He, he missed over half of the regular season games over the past two seasons. Uh, you know, obviously got injured in the playoffs in, in 2021 and just wasn't, to, to Slater's point, like that top 10 player that we had been accustomed to seeing him, you know, that that level that we had been accustomed to seeing him play at. So I think for, for him to get back to that, really, it's, it's been a passing of the torch. Like the Lakers have, you know, been answering questions about that over the last few games of like LeBron is kind of passing the torch to, to AD right now where it's like it's his team. Like he's the number one guy. He's the focal point. And that was not something anybody anticipated a few weeks ago. Like it, it still was LeBron's team, everything running through LeBron. He was the face of the team. He was the focal point. And we've really seen a shift that I think some people thought was going to happen a couple years ago. Uh, it took a little longer than expected, but AD's healthy. He, he's playing at arguably the best level he's ever played at. And uh, I think for the Lakers, th- this changes the trajectory of their future just because if he wasn't this guy, you were in a tough spot where you maybe have to sell low at some point, maybe next summer. But now he could be a foundational piece that you build around with, with another star in the future. So bigger picture on this season. I mean, and I, I think everybody's benefiting from it. I know, you know, the, the two teams that me and Sam are around the most, you know, the Kings and the Warriors certainly are, but just the condensed nature of the Western Conference standings. The Warriors had that horrendous start, and they got a little bit of a rhythm, and boom, they're they're in sixth right now. The Warriors are in sixth despite having a 2-10 and ten road record. Uh, the Kings are in fifth. You know, they're 13-9. and nine. That qualifies for fifth at this point. Uh, even the Suns up at one, like 16-7, and seven is not, not on the pace they were on last year. Um, there's just, you know, this 
condensed conference allows the Lakers sitting at 12th right now at 10 and 12, but they're five and a half back of first. They're two back of sixth. Like I, you know, where are you guys both at on really what I think is like not nearly as fearsome of a conference as it has been previously. No, I mean, I think we've been talking about it a lot later in the context of teams like the Kings, right? Where like you win some games, you're feeling good. And then, those of us that are always looking at things league-wide and nationally are quick to say, well, you better keep winning games because you have a bad week and you could go from top. And I mean, really, if Phoenix if fell off a cliff, they could be out of the playoff hunt, you know, in, in seven or eight days. So um, the Lakers, and the, I think your general point is the idea that 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 two and ten start wasn't the unofficial end, which it actually kind of, at least for me, it felt like. Like, my God, like, they're going to be 15 games in, and this season is going to be unofficially over, you know, with the direction they were going. And and then it felt like that was going to have a, a cooling effect, obviously, on all the trade possibilities that we had discussed. Like, why would you give up any assets to add anybody to this hopeless team that is going nowhere? So I did not see the turnaround coming, but then, you know, like we alluded to earlier, it, you just got to keep watching because I don't know how much I believe it to this point. You got a Cavs game on Tuesday, another, you know, LeBron homecoming. Those are always fun, but that's a, a good Cleveland team that has been finding its way recently. Uh, up to Toronto, they've been scuffling, but, you know, a tough team. You know, Philly is undermanned, but a, a tough team. You know, a Detroit gimme that they should be able to get. And then it's home against Boston, Denver, Washington, Phoenix, Sacramento. Those are not all at home, but point being like tough, 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 tough games. Um, it the rest of this month, and and I'm repeating what you said earlier, Yovan. Like it's gonna be super interesting to see, you know, where are they on Christmas Day when they're in Dallas, you know, trying to to figure out where this season is headed. Yeah, the the biggest thing for me, uh, quickly, is just health, right? Because this is still a a very top heavy roster, the, the top heavy construction, just given the salaries that uh, that they have with their stars. So. If LeBron or AD goes out for an extended period of time, as they both have over the last couple of years, that's where I think the Lakers run into trouble. And the non-LeBron minutes have been better this season than they have been in the past, but I still think this is not a, a team that can survive without LeBron for for an extended period. So I think that the biggest thing is just going to be, can those two guys stay healthy? And, and then, you know, of, of course, AD keeping this up, but I, I do think this is closer to what we've seen from AD in New Orleans and that first Lakers season where you know I'm, I'm more bullish on on AD keeping this up. It's a matter of can he stay healthy, which you know n- no one really knows, and and we'll see at, at the end of the season. Uh, but as far as where they are in the West, I, I think this to me looks like a playing team right now. Uh, with the upside again, if AD and LeBron can stay healthy, to maybe be a five or six seed. And um, I know internally that they uh, you know want to be a contender and and, and whatnot. Like I, I don't know if I can go that far. But I also think it's going to come down to what moves do they make? Like, do they go all in and upgrade the roster? Are they willing to trade a pick or two? Um, you know, it, it sounded recently more like they, they've been a little cautious with that. Uh, but that was also before they beat Milwaukee and AD has been on this tear. So I think the, the next few weeks are going to be telling both in terms of how do they fare on these two road trips? Uh, what do they do, if anything, at the December 15th mark? Uh, but if they do make a move and upgrade this roster and, and get a Miles Turner or someone else, like I do think this is a group that, that could surprise some people later in the season. 
Can we talk a little bit about, uh, you guys know I'm a sucker for this stuff, the the, the palace intrigue, if you will, and, and the latest sense that you might have of the the Lakers' internal discussions and some of those power dynamics that are impacted by how they're playing. So roughly speaking, I feel like it was around the time they started playing better, but but really early on in this stretch when um, there were multiple reports, I believe, maybe just one, well, I don't want to cite incorrectly, but that, you know, that, that core uh, members of the Lakers, you know, fully expected, you know, the, the organization to push and, and improve the roster. And bottom line, there was public pressure being applied by, it's one of those stories that, that we read in the media and, it, you know, you're pretty confident you know where it came from, but you can't broadcast it. Like, everything read like, all right, LeBron wants some help. AD wants some help. How about um, that Aaron Rodgers comment, right? When he did the sh- uh, – what was he shot. doing? He was like broadcasting was for like, Amazon the, the like Packers game? Halftime show. I think it was like a shot or uninterrupted crossover with, with Amazon. They were doing, yeah, something with Amazon where he was like announcing, you know, on his own feed, you know, a lot of stuff like that goes on these days. And he was making a point about Aaron Rodgers and needing to maximize his like last years and the talent around. And even, I think it was, wasn't it like Jalen Ramsey or somebody was in there yeah, with him. Yeah. And it was like, kind of sounds like you might, are you speaking about basketball or football? <laughs> here, you know? um, but yeah, I mean, but, and, and, and I think, you know, LeBron, I said this earlier today, like he, in my opinion, has been pretty patient during this Lakers era, you know, like, he comes to a franchise. Now, listen, they won the title, and so things were great at that point. Um, but I think there have been times when I got the strong sense that that he had more concern about how they functioned internally uh, than he let on publicly. Now, some folks listening will probably say, well, hold on a minute. Like, we got our own opinions of, of how he uses his voice and the, the clutch sports factor. And Rich Paul, we all know the parties involved here. But, like, I think LeBron and Clutch – for the most part, have, you know, they have continued to try to be good partners with the Lakers. And even at times when people around the league were questioning the way the franchise was being run. And, but now that we're getting closer and closer to the trade deadline in his 20th season, you know, there was this inevitable pressure that was going to come, especially if the Lakers were any good at all, that at some point, you know, when push comes to shove, LeBron's going to raise his hand and say, this is enough. Get me some help. Um, and we I don't know how that kind of like what that leads to, but in terms of the way everybody is feeling and the way some of those internal conversations uh, might be going, what, what kind of sense do you have there? Well, I, I think the, the most interesting thing to me with, with all of this is what was promised with the extension because there's been some mixed intel on um, – it has seemed to to be, you know, in talking to LeBron or AD or, or it kind of coming from that side of things, like there were promises made to upgrade the roster when he signed the extension. And, you know, it's kind of public consumption where Rob Palenka even alluded to that on, on media day of, you know, we owe it to LeBron to, you know, he signed an extension we need to upgrade the roster. We need to do whatever it takes to, to be competitive and, and to win. Um, he did kind of hedge it a little bit. If you look at the kind of the semantics of what he said with, with uh, you know, qualifiers of it's got to be the right deal. We only get one shot, at, including our picks. So like he did kind of give himself an out there. But Rob even alluded to that publicly of, you know, not 
necessarily promising LeBron, but but making it clear like we care about the end of LeBron's career and legacy, and we want him to go out on a high note. Uh, but obviously, the team has, has not operated that way in terms of making a move. And um, you know, originally it was you know, as you Shams and, and I reported before the season. They got to the one yard line w- with that deal with Indiana in, in terms of offering it. And had they offered, uh, you know, both picks that that likely would have gone through, um, or, or at least the Lakers side had confidence that that would have happened. Uh, and then going, you know, then it became, well, Thanksgiving, and then now it's December fifteenth, and like and now it's, you know, is it going to push into January? And like, so I think I'm really interested in. And only time will tell really kind of what the truth is of like what was actually promised to LeBron when he signed the extension. Because the truth is LeBron lost his lost some leverage at least when he signed that extension. Because had he not signed it, he could kind of, you know, he could still be traded. He he could kind of apply some more pressure of, you know, if you guys want me to sign this, like you guys got to make a move. Like he lost that the second he signed that extension. But if he felt there was a promise or, or if he felt that there was even maybe not something explicit, but, but something kind of implied, like that that's where I think this gets a little interesting and, and potentially a little testy kind of down the road. If the Lakers ultimately don't do anything. Um, but my, my sense is that they've really taken a wait and see approach with just where's the roster at. I think they've been really cautious with, with trading any picks just because they, they you know, to, to Rob's point, they only get one shot at this and they don't want to mess it up. And, uh, but that being said, I, I really think w- with the way they've turned their season around and the way AD's playing, uh, I, I think it, it is, it's a mistake to not make a move at some point in, in the short term here, because you only have LeBron and AD for so long. And if you're going to waste this season and hope LeBron in year 21 can, can still play at this level, uh, I, I think that that might be, you know, uh, foolish thinking. So I think that they got to make a move at some point, whether that's a big move, a small move, we'll see. But I think them not doing any that other names you're hearing, you, you know, you mentioned the usual suspects with, with buddy and miles and, um, you know, but in terms of things that, that might be worth tracking, um, anything cross your desk, uh, San Antonio, Chicago, New York. Uh, th- those have been some teams I- I've heard floated. Uh, Charlotte w- was earlier in the season. I think that's kind of quieted down, especially with uh, the-, the Gordon Hayward injury. Um, but th- those have been the three biggest ones I- I've heard. Um, and, and, you know, Chicago, th- th- there's been some smoke there, which with- just, you know, are they, are they going for DeMar? Are they going to uh, wait to offer you know, a bigger deal for Zach or something? But um, a Washington's another one. Alex Caruso, <laughs> get get Alex back. Washington's another Steve one. Kerr and with, Alex with, with Caruso. Yeah. Uh, Caruso, I, yeah. Lip readers seem to. Uh, I mean that that was that, a pretty uh, obvious lip reader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really. Was. But I'm, I'm sure, like I, I'm sure coaches say stuff like that all the time. You know, we'd love to have like yeah, they just don't get caught on camera. <laughs> yeah, they don't get caught on camera. And and what coach wouldn't? I mean, Caruso's the type of guy I think would improve like basically every team if yeah, you know, for he, sure. third or fourth guard. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing with the trade market is like, you know, then this this next month, not only you know December fifteenth has to hit, obviously for for a lot of possibilities to even open up, but teams are going to figure out, I think, over the next month, six weeks, like what are they? You know, we th- you know Utah is Utah as they continue to kind of tumble a little bit, going to finally be like, okay, we can we can put the eject. That was a fun little you know opening month. Same thing the Pacers, right? The Pacers have lost three in a row. Uh, they don't have Tyrese Halliburton tonight, you know, going uh, against Golden State. So, you know, you 
probably seeing them maybe going on like a one and four road trip. Does that change some of their um, desires? So I think we're going to find out a lot more about teams over the next. Remember when we were talking about San Antonio winning too much? (laughs) Yeah, what were they like? Four and two, five five and two. The the Lakers three times. (laughs) They've lost sixteen of seventeen. Yeah, and if the Lakers win the title, then Greg Popovich is coach of the year. Somehow he saved the Lakers season. Jovan, this was great, man. Uh, it was good to see you. And, you know, of all the time oh, – I mean, how many seasons of coverage now are we talking Clippers and Lakers combined? How many seasons as a beat writer? Oh, it's my fifth year. So I just – I feel like confident saying that this one in terms of like the the variance and the within one season, you know, covering things on one end of the spectrum and then having it swing to the other end, this – is probably as, as as much variance as you've had, uh, yeah. but keep doing your thing. Always a good read. Always digging in and figuring out what's actually going on. We appreciate you and uh, thanks for coming on, sir. I appreciate you guys for having me. Yes, we really appreciate it because Fred Katz, I believe, was boycotting the podcast because of the topic. Well done, Slater. Yeah, we miss our guy Fred. Couldn't make it today, and is I th- I'm not sure if this is on Jovan's radar, Fred finds me uh in air quotes finds me every time i talk about russ and the lakers he 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 gets tired of lakers talk and coincidentally couldn't make it today so connect the dots uh however you care care to it's been hard not to talk about them recently yeah always is all right yovan thanks brother slater appreciate you talk to you guys